You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Hello, Richard. Hello, Mike. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to, to get started. I'm always looking to have productive dialogue with my fellow pharmacists. For those that haven't come across you, introduce yourself mm-hmm. and tell the listeners why we're talking today. I'm Richard Harris. I'm an internal medicine physician, pharmacist, and actually recently MBA just finished my MBA about a week ago, actually, uh, who went into holistic medicine. So I worked in conventional medicine for a while, hated it, felt like I wasn't getting anything done and wanted to return to the principles I learned in pharmacy school, which was head to toe, holistic, physiology based approach. And so now I do that through online wellness consults. Uh, through an educational consulting company. We do social, emotional learning, personal development. You know, I really wanted to be able to impact every single facet of life from a holistic wellness and personal development spectrum. Yeah, I thought that MBA got thrown in there since the last time maybe I (laughs) (laughs) looked up your stuff. Mm -hmm. Let me ask this first. Right now, are you still in the trenches of one of those jobs that's not in your new desires of holistic? I am. So right now I'm doing about uh, eight to 10 shifts a month in the hospital. Uh, And interestingly enough, right now I've been seeing a lot of uh, COVID patients, you know, in in our hospital and treating COVID patients with actual nutritional therapy. Oh. All right. So I've been using a lot of vitamin D, zinc, uh, vitamin C therapy. If I had alpha lipoic acid, I would use it. If I had glutathione in the hospital, I would use it. As an independent pharmacy owner, I have to keep up with all the stuff that's in the news so that I can try to order it before it's sold out at the wholesaler the next day after the mm-hmm. wave of customers come through. So the, th- the three things you mentioned outside of the the thermometers and the mass and those kind of things is the zinc and the vitamin D and the vitamin C and so on. So you're doing that about eight shifts a month. So a couple, couple days a, a week or so. Yeah, usually about two, max three days a week. Uh, I picked up more shifts last month because all my other business stuff got <laughs> put on hold. So <laughs> I was, this was a good time to pick up extra shifts. And, you know, at, at that point, I felt like I can make more difference inside the hospital than outside the hospital. Yeah, right. Where you were not doing the things you quite wanted to do in mm-hmm. the world of, of medicine. Yeah, correct. I I felt like I was just putting bandages on symptoms and not really healing people. And it was the group that I was working for. They literally trotted me out in front of all the media. I did all our social media appearances. I did all our TV appearances. I did uh, all of our webinars. And then when I tried to become more holistic focused, they would be like, well, your metrics for statins are low. And I was yeah. like, okay, let's pull up all these patients. I'm like, okay, this person's lost 15 pounds. This right. person's coming off blood pressure medications. This person's coming off their diabetes medications. What do you really care about? And the message yeah. was, get your metrics up. And I was like, okay, I'm out. And I, I left to try to figure out what I wanted to do at that point in time. And I used the hospital as kind of a bridge for me to figure out what avenue I really wanted to pursue. How long has it been since you started doing some of your own holistic stuff. So I'd started dabbling in it about two years ago. And 
you know, like everything else, you have to find your own niche. You have to find your practice. And, you know, the holistic sphere is huge. There's so many different things that you can do. And so, I didn't really know which way I wanted to go up until about six months ago. I really figured out that my passion is lifestyle medicine, nutrigenomics, and micronutrient testing. I love that stuff. I love the evaluations. I love correlating it to people's symptoms, to their family trees. You know, now it's gotten to the point where if you tell me your your symptoms and your family history, I can pretty much tell you what is wrong micronutrient wise and what is wrong nutrigenomic wise. And then yeah. you can it's that true personalized medicine where you're creating a plan for the person that's in front of you. And right. I love that. And then I threw in health coaching on the back end. I started studying behavioral change and change analysis and the science of habits. And now I incorporate that into my practice as well to help people really become the agents of their own change, the agents of their own destiny and live that life full of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. Let's say finances aside, Mm -hmm. what would your dream be? Would it be to talk to Mrs. Smith one-on-one or do you want to have a TV show where you're affecting millions with Mm -hmm. this, but not having that personal interaction? Uh, Both, actually. So the way I designed the business was so I would only see about three to four people a day in one-on-one consults because it it requires a lot of energy, right? And and a lot of you're pouring so much of yourself into somebody that it's draining. Yeah, It, It really is draining. And so I wanted to be able to have my best for each person. So I want to still do that, you know, see a couple people a day. But I also want to be able to speak to the masses. I want to uh, travel around speaking about lifestyle medicine, holistic health. I want to travel speaking around the benefits of pharmacists and how we need to elevate the profession of pharmacy to talk about coaching and how we become our own change agents. So um, I I pray every day that, that I touch just one life. But at the same time, I'm reaching for the one. I'm also reaching for the many. Yeah. So when you talk about reaching for the many, I know you have a podcast that seems to be obviously one of the vehicles to touch many. Has that been everything you thought it would be or does it seem not to quite get far enough and so on? Is, is it a good step right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I started the podcast for a couple of reasons. One, because people kept asking the same questions over and over again. <laughs> so so I wanted a way that I could uh, just get people to information because yeah. of, you know, it's the same, a lot of the same questions over and over again. Right. And then two was because awareness for holistic medicine is extremely low. Yeah. So I wanted a vehicle that could introduce people to lifestyle medicine, to holistic medicine. And then after about the first six episodes of me floundering around, not knowing what I was doing, I really... Join the club. (laughs) You learn as you go, right? And uh, I figured out that I love podcasting. I love the medium. I love connecting with other people, being guests, having guests on. It's just a um, an amazing platform for connection. I didn't go yeah. into it as a, as a vehicle for connection, but I found that this is a way to connect with other providers and, and thought leaders and, and connect directly with people. Uh, and I'm loving it. It's just absolutely amazing. This long form of conversation is really cool. 
Yeah, it, it, it is. And you can get your information out there in a way that's authentic, that's genuine. You can be yourself, your personality. You know, I inject my corny humor, my jokes, and I uh, use my own experience. And it's so cool then just to go with the flow of the conversation and not have to not have to fill it if on purpose, yet not have to shut it off if you're going down some roads that are just really cool. So it's really cool to have that, even that open time frame is, is what I've found. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you never know where the conversation is going to lead and you never know what ideas you're going to brainstorm or synthesis or uh, what you might dive into someone else's knowledge base. Yeah, right. right. Because, you know, we all have these facts and things like that that are in our heads and you may jog a memory in someone else and be like, yeah. oh, you know what? I didn't plan to talk about that, but that's yeah, right. a really good point. Let's let's talk about that for a second. Now we got to dig back in. A PharmD degree, an MD degree, an MBA. What the heck? <laughs> Spill the beans. What's going on there, Richard? So that's pretty funny because when I applied to medical school, uh, I was interviewing with a professor, a big Aussie guy, right? Heavy accent. And I walk in, he looks at me, looks down at the paper. He goes, uh, are you Richard? And I go, yeah. He goes, are you the pharmacist? I go, yeah. He, and literally first question in that interview, he goes, why the F do you want to come to medical school? <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh this is not gonna be going well for me i'm not gonna get in it's been a lifelong journey i've always been someone who loves learning and loves knowledge and i hate feeling like i have a knowledge deficit yeah and i found what works best for me is if i structured learn and then unstructured learn gotcha and so that's why it, Originally, as a kid, I wanted to be an MD. I kind yeah. of fell away from that. Um, went to physics, thought I wanted to do biomedical physics, realized I love physics, hated math. Yeah. Then wanted to do bench research, did bench research for two years, hated it. And then I luckily worked in the dean of pharmacy's lab. And I told him one day, I was like, I don't know what I'm about to do, going to do. I'm a, I'm a junior. I'm about to graduate. Like, I have no clue. And he says, hey, I think you'd be a good pharmacist. Uh, come to pharmacy school. I literally had no clue what pharmacists did. Yeah. None. And I was, and I didn't have a plan. So I said, I trusted him. Uh, and he said he'd look out for me. So I said, okay, I'll come to pharmacy school. And then he takes the provost job and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a, like a dean of another thing or something? Yeah, you're basically uh, right below the, um, was it chancellor, like the the head position. Oh, of the university. Yeah. So he's still there, but he's like another building and stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's the head dog now. So. Well, I guess he can look out for you better. Yeah. You know, it, it ended up being uh, the best thing that ever happened to me because I met a lot of my really good friends I'm still friends with. Yeah. And then I figured out after my first year in pharmacy school, I wanted to go to medical school. But I'd never quit anything in my life, and that wasn't going to be the first thing I ever quit. So I told myself, I'm going to finish this out. Um, it's probably going to allow me to work in medical school so I don't have to pay, uh, you know, take out as many loans and not have right. as much debt. And it's going to give me a strong background. And little did I know how well pharmacy school prepared me for medical school. Um, my classmates in medical school hated me. 
absolutely mm. hated me because I had to spend a fraction of the time studying. Right. I worked 20 hours a week at MD Anderson in the pharmacy, right, to, to pay yeah. for medical school. Yeah. And uh, I was able to, to have a life outside of school. I, I traveled. I hung out with my friends. I, I did a lot because I, I told them I, I have already paid my dues, right? Pharmacy school is not easy. You know, it's not a cakewalk. By the time you went to pharmacy school, you had four years of pharmacy school left or three or? Yeah. So uh, I actually finished. So I did three years undergrad. Uh, don't have a bachelor's, which is kind of funny. Gotcha. Uh, four years farm, then med school and then the MBA. Yeah, I was going to I was going to try to catch you on that. I didn't see any BS. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so you had three years undergrad, four years pharmacy. And then how long do you say med school is? It was uh, four years of med school. Plus then all the other stuff afterwards, though, yeah. right? Three years of residency uh, in Galveston and then uh, two years of the MBA. Your MBA was about 10 years later. It was actually, yeah. From, from the graduation of pharmacy school to MBA was 10 years. The end of med school, it was only like about two years later, maybe? Yeah, from the end of residency, it was, um, yeah, two years after the end of residency, five years after the end of med school. Let me see if I have this right. You enjoy learning, but you enjoy the structured learning. School gave you that chance to do that, to kind of get the whole picture. That's part of the reason for that? Yes, that's correct. Um and also because it gives me more opportunities. So to understand why I did what I did, you have to go back to how I grew up. And my mom always hammered in my head to prepare for exigencies. And the first time she said that, I was like, what the heck is an exigency, mom? And she's like, <laughs> and she said, you know, circumstances that you can't prepare for, things that you just come out of the blue. And so that was hammered into my head early. And so I always had this spider web of plans. And then also my uh, dad, who was very successful, uh, was an MBA. Um, he told me that when I was in college, that the only thing he regrets is that he didn't get his CPA certification because it delayed hmm. him getting his dream job at the end. Gotcha. And so those two lessons just stuck with me right? very, very uh, tightly. And so when I was going through my career, I, I said, I'd never wanted to be in one area because you never know what's going to happen. Right. Right. So I wanted to be flexible like water and I have so many different interests. I wanted to be able to bounce and weave and fit into this glass and now that glass and, and kind of mold my career as the, as the wind literally blows. What was your favorite of the three? Pharmacy school. That was the most interesting for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, by far. I mean, uh, if, if at my core, what I love the most is physiology. Gotcha. Right? Because that's the underlying mechanism of how we work. It's right. why I love physics, but I hated math. Because math can be so abstract and out there. But physics is concrete. Right. And you can see it in the world around you. And so that's why I love physiology, because it explains literally how humans work. Yeah. It's the most complex puzzle on the planet. And so it, we're always learning, always growing in that area. And I knew that even throughout my entire life, we'll never have all the answers. And that would yeah. always keep me engaged to wanting to figure out and learn more.
medical school is based on anatomy. In pharmacy school, you know, we're taught more from a physiology head to toe approach. Gotcha. Right. Where in medical school, you're taught for an isolated systems approach, which is a problem because the body doesn't work in isolated systems. Right. So that's part of the reason why I'm able to think differently than a lot of my colleagues because everything that I do, I'm thinking of that effect in totality. And not specifically related to, oh, how this is just going to affect the heart or the kidneys or the micro scale. So you talked about your structured learning. How unstructured is your unstructured learning? Is it like me, like I see an article and, I'm, and, I, and I read it? Or, or do you have structure still to your unstructured learning? Is it certain books you're reading, that kind of stuff? No, it's exactly like you said. I, I mean, I have certain books I read. Um, uh, the, the books I read are typically about sociology, psychology, and uh, behavioral economics. Mm -hmm. Those are like the three areas that I really love. And then as far as my medical reading, it's all over the place. I'll see an article. I'll see a headline. I'll track down the article. Uh, it, the Most of the stuff I read now because I've I've read probably 400 white papers in the last year. Uh, so most of the stuff I read now is is that spur of the moment because I've already researched a lot of the areas that I, I wanted to research before I got into holistic medicine. I'm going to put you into three categories. You've got your degrees. And I can picture seeing somebody with those degrees on some sort of a some sort of a board somewhere, you know, because you see these people with all the degrees. I can see that being a financial piece of your picture. I can also see you working somewhere. You're working as a doctor or a pharmacist or you're working in a company. You've gone and are spending half of your time on your own. Tell me how that affects your income potential, positively, negatively, neutral. When did you decide to make that jump away from the standard payroll, so to speak? Sure. Yeah. So uh, right now I'm not making anywhere close to what I was making as a full-time physician. All right. You know, it's a very lucrative job. Yeah. Um, but it's not what I wanted to do. And so I knew to get back to that income level that I would need to set up multiple revenue streams. I also wanted to be able to pursue all the things that I'm interested in. So this happened about two and a half years ago. I, I sat down and started having really tough conversations with myself. Like, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Is this what you really want to do? Yeah. You know, do you want to try to be an entrepreneur? Do you just, just want to see what it's like? And so after a while, I, I figured out the answer was yes. And then it was figuring out how to do that. And then it, when opportunities came my way, I never said no. If it was in my lane of overall helping people and educating people, I was all for it. You had those conversations with yourself. Did you have to have them with anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question at uh at that point in time no because i was single at that time uh 
no kids. Yeah. So I, I wasn't beholden to anybody. So I could still do what I wanted to do. Perfect. And not be afraid of, of failure. Uh, because going back to that plan for exigencies, you know, uh, my backup backup plan now is work as a pharmacist. That's a great job. You know, my backup plan is work as a physician. That's a great job. All right. And, and so now I have all of these uh, opportunities in front of me where I know if even if I do fail, I'm not afraid of failing. But even if I do fail, I have backups and backups. Ideally, by the end of the year, I only want to be a half to work in the hospital three times a month. OK, so let's say that's a half. Now take the mm-hmm. other half and let's say the other half is now 100 percent right. of your non-hospital right. stuff. What division would that 100% look like? What would you like it to I would say, um, f- all right, so I would say 25% of the one-on-one wellness consults, 25% from uh, speaking and, and ad revenue, things like that from the podcast, 25% from consulting. So I do do some consulting, you know, medical directors, um, uh, I do like uh, life science consulting, so helping people integrate holistic practices into their businesses or people who want to know more about the business of holistic medicine. And then the other 25% would be from some of the other um, opportunities I got from consulting. So I, I have ownership in some other companies that I consulted for. And so that's basically would be the the breakdown right now of where uh, my different revenue streams. So most of it would come inside um, the wellness business. I'd also outside of that, I have the educational consulting company, right? So um, that I don't really do for revenue, though. I do that mainly because I love seeing kids light up. Right. I love seeing hmm. kids be successful. So I, I don't really count yeah. that in my in my revenue projections because that's something that I love that I would do for free. We're getting paid to do it, but I would do it for free. Now look out five years. Do you like that mix of percentages you gave me or or would you like it to be shifted anywhere else? Five years from now, probably about the same. Ten years from now, I would most likely want it to be less uh, one-on-one, more speaking, uh, group webinars, those those kind of things. Uh, and then uh, also do a little bit more business consulting because I like that. I like I never really thought I wanted to be in business. In fact, I told my dad when I was 10 that... Uh, I would never go into business. <laughs> and so, cause he was an MBA. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, you know how kids are, you know, <laughs> I wanted to, I was like, I'm going to blaze my own path. If my dad can do it, that's not challenging <laughs> enough for me. I can do anything. He can do it better. So. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's where I see myself going. And then eventually my, and this is originally it's in my 15 year plan, but if it happens sooner, it happens yeah. sooner. But I'm really passionate about education and teaching. I would love to be able mm-hmm. to teach, especially to pharmacy students, because that's 
you know, my first love, my first degree is teach pharmacy students how to be holistic providers. If you were wildly successful in one of these pursuits, all of a sudden something happens and you've got just this huge book deal or whatever, and you have the financial freedom then to stop something You've got more money than you know what to do with. How does your week look then as far as hours? Would you still be doing the hospital? Would you be only working 20 hours a week or would you be working 60 hours a week because now you can work on your passions and so on? What would that look like if money was not an issue? Uh, I would be doing the same exact thing I'm doing now. Honestly. Hospital, hospital I'd still be in the hospital two or three times uh, a month. And that's mainly because I like to keep my pulse on what's happening inside the conventional side of medicine. Right. And also, yeah. I, I've been able to expose my colleagues to a different form of medicine. Right. And so that's over time, a lot of them have started to come around to the benefits of, um, holistic medicine, some of them now even give their patients, you know, nutrition handouts and exercise recommendations and stuff like that. So I do see some benefit in still being inside the system to know what's going on inside the system and also to still have uh, dialogue with my colleagues who practice conventional medicine. With all of these money makers that we're talking about, loves and hopes and dreams, but they bring in some money. The one that's easiest for me to understand is working at the hospital and you say, okay, I worked, now I get my pay. <laughs> that's like, that's supposed to happen. How do these other ones work out as far as you letting people know that you have a fee for what you do. Let's say, let's start with the consulting, mm -hmm. for example, of, of other healthcare fields. This is simplified as much as I can think. Are they like emailing you and then you say, yeah, I'm open. And then do they say, how much is it? And then you give them a fee or how does that Mm -hmm. communication take place when you go from something that seems cut and dry with a pharmacy mm -hmm. sale or I work an hour in the right. hospital or right. whatever versus this other more nebulous stuff. Right now, it's been a couple of different ways. One, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's been a godsend for me as far as connecting. Two, it's uh, friend referrals. So now that I've gotten into the world of entrepreneurship, I of course have a lot of other friends who are entrepreneurs in different areas. So they'll reach out to me and say, Hey, um, you know, I have someone who may be interested in, in the stuff that you do. You guys should hop on a call together. And so that's how two of the thing, deals I'm working on right now came out to be. Uh, one of the deals I'm working on came through LinkedIn. And then another one came through a friend who uh, knew of, a, of another business who was looking for someone like me. And so then we just jump on a call and then we see, uh, we talk about our visions and see where we're aligned and where we're not aligned. And then uh, as far as pricing goes, it kind of depends. So some of them are just, you know, hourly, here's my hourly fee. 
here's what I here's my deliverable, and we'll go from there. Some of them um, have been for you know medical directorships. So you know I oversee them. They also get access to all my personal materials for my clients that they can give to their clients, and then um, we talk about uh, business growth and and stuff like that. On the one you just mentioned there, then when are you talking? Mm-hmm. money with them do you say hey i'll do all this and do all this and it's going to be this much kind of a retainer or this much and then they either agree to it or not for the most part yes it, it also kind of depends on the nature of the deal so some of them i've been like this is what it costs this is what i'll deliver and that's it others uh i will negotiate uh, profit sharing for the product i create i see like you mentioned some of those companies and so on that you're involved with right Right. So some of them are, are me creating platforms to, to help teach others to to think and approach holistic problems like I do. And so that you can, of course, I'll take a lower fee up front yeah. for some profit sharing on the back end. It's finding your value. And that's really hard because it's not it's not concrete. Right. Right. And then you, you also have to have the nuance of negotiation of figuring out what people are going to be able to pay. Sure. And so we see that a lot with our educational consulting company. Um, we'll, we'll do different bundles depending on what we think people are able to pay. So we, all, we always want them to feel like they have, they're getting value from our services. Gotcha. And we always want them to feel like they're getting more than what they paid for. Gotcha. Because then they come back. Yeah. Right. Right. You, you cut somebody a deal, they'll love you. Right. Even if it's not really a deal for them the appearance of a deal, they'll love you. So I um, always try to make it seem fair and equitable Yeah, and um, make it like we're both getting some value out of the, the negotiation. That's how I approach deals. How do you define value? Would you say that ultimately in most cases is going to come down to you could put a number on it, even if it's someone being healthier, you could say there's a financial value in being healthier or or do you not necessarily have to go that far with the thought process? No, you definitely do. I found the the easiest way to get people to buy into holistics is their pocketbook. Ah, I see. Right. And then the the terms I use around marketing myself are I use in terms people understand. I'm like, hey, you are your best asset. You're only going to go as far as your health and your body allows you. If your body breaks down, it, nothing else matters. Right. Right. You have to stop everything. All your plans, all of that is gone until you get yourself fixed. Yeah. Right. So why not make sure that you're in a position where that doesn't happen and then you're more productive, you can make more money, you spend less money, right? Yeah. And it's a win-win. It's a, one of those situations where the best offense is a good defense. Yeah, right. 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 Making yeah, sure right. that your body's able to handle the stressors of high performance. Because that's one of the things, and we mentioned this a lot in our educational consulting company. Yeah. We always push people to be high performers, but we don't give them the tools to deal with the stress that comes with high performance, sure. right? It's long hours, yeah. sometimes lack of sleep, uh, a lot of stress. And so if you're not, 
if you're not in a position to have a plan for that before going into that situation, your body can start to break down. It's one of the reasons why we have such high stress levels now and high burnout levels now because we're not preparing people for the pressures that come with high performance. Yeah, one of the guys I listened to, they were talking about the disparity between male CEOs and female CEOs. And his take on it was not so much the question of maybe why there's less females CEOs, but why the hell would a man or anybody want to be a CEO with the hours and the stress and all that that they put in? You know, he thinks it's crazy that anybody would be put in that position, but a lot of people want to do it. Yeah. And it all depends on the the company that you're a CEO of, right? Yeah. Because there's a a big difference in and some of these company cultures where there's a company of inclusion and diversity and freedom yeah. of thought and there's true delegation down the chain to where when you're at the higher levels, you're truly a thought leader yeah. and a motivator sure. and, and a coach, right? Yeah. As opposed to if you're up at the top and your company below you is all full of micromanagers and everybody's miserable right. and the culture is terrible. Right. That's a hard job. It reminds me just this week and I had some staff leave me in the recent months and my 18 year old daughter said well dad have you ever tried to have like the last company i was at you know she was at this juice making company at the at the mall or something and she said we would have like morale things where like we had like meetings and and the the boss would say you know what's going on positive what's negative and things like that you know team building and i said uh I said, you're not with them anymore, though, right? She said, oh, no, I hated it. I couldn't wait to get out of there. (laughs) (laughs) So so they had good theory. It was a good theory, but it's hard to put a finger on what's going to actually do that. Some people love that the team building exercises and some people just want to go into work and just do their job and not be bothered. And and so you, you have to find the right mixed in the right situation for your employees. And I think there's even a middle of that where there's people that they know the company is that for certain reasons and they don't need the team building because just through certain ways they can tell where the company is headed. And sometimes it's just a confidence of who the company is without bringing in a lot of extra team building stuff. Right. You have to know where your people are, right? You have to meet them where they are. So it sounds to me like you did not actually mention like a call to action and it sounds like that's kind of on purpose and you don't even need it now because you're kind of entering into these conversations do you have any call to actions like here's this call in 30 days or fill out this questionnaire or sign up for a a free one-on-one consultation or something it sounds like the things you mentioned were all just a very natural conversation that led to something Mm -hmm. more and people probably expected that you don't do things for free but it wasn't actually like a sign up do this now leave your name that kind of thing yeah and and that was actually intentional so when i started going down this route i had the mba right and so i actually had a Mm -hmm. clinic open for a while and i got burnt out because i was doing too much at once a clinic of 
I had a holistic clinic, so I had an actual office. Gotcha. I was spending a lot of time in the office, spending a lot of time on marketing campaigns and advertising and and all of that. And I just got so burnt out. And I said, okay, I'm going to shelf this. I'm going to figure out a way that I can do this, but move it online because that gives me a lot more freedom and leeway. Right. And so then I went back to the drawing board. I've been testing this model out for the last six or seven months, you know, seeing some clients here and there and everything. Yeah. I've gotten it perfected to really what I want my program to be how I want it to be. And so now I'm actually working on redoing my website and I'm going to have that, uh, that call to action. And what will that call be? It'll be for people for more of your holistic clients or more consulting? Holistic clients. And it, this is a perfect time for it because it's going to be related to what's happening now. And like I said earlier, how all of these lifestyle measures are front and center and the data is clearly showing that there are worse outcomes in those who have the worst aspects of lifestyle medicine, nutrition, nutrient deficiencies. Exactly. What a better billboard for saying that your all-around health is going to help you weather the storm on some of this stuff. Right. Because it will happen again. I mean, there's, there's, there's no doubt about it that there will be another global pandemic. There's, there, they've been consistent. There's been global pandemics all throughout history. I know even with COVID, it's like, I'm in Grand Rapids. It's almost like we shut down in Grand Rapids probably two weeks early. In my mind now, it seems like people have about a month of that in them, maybe a month and a half before they go stir crazy. We almost mm -hmm. started like three weeks later, it seems, and then extended further because now we're kind of out and about and now is like really when it's hitting the area. I think mm. even that second wave is probably going to be a pretty decent size. Yeah, it, it, it probably will be. It's just it's so hard because of um, the testing availability. The testing accuracy was in question for a, yeah. a large point of time. And still some of the tests are, are, are have accuracy issues. Right. And then the uh, serology testing is not widely available. Yeah. So that would be good to know for people like me who are still working in the hospital. Have I seroconverted? Do I have antibodies? Right. right. Can I go be around my parents and be okay? Like, you know, that's that's one of the a lot of the questions that my colleagues have. Yeah, exactly. Richard, when you talk about goals and ideas and five and ten and fifteen years out and so on. Do you share those with anybody? Do you have, are those personal? Are they written down? Do you have a coach or are these all internal? What is your thought on that? Yeah, initially they were internal. And then I sat down um, about halfway through the MBA and wrote those down, uh, mainly a five and 10 year plan. And then actually two weeks ago, I sat down and revised it to a five, 10 and 15 year plan. Mm. And then I have a 20 up to a 25 year plan in my head. I just don't like to go that far out because, you know, my initial plan five years ago didn't include anything, <laughs> <laughs> didn't include anything of what I'm doing now. But then I was kind of lost and now I know what lane I want to be yeah. in and how I'm going to go about doing that. Yeah. So I think the plan that I created, the 5, 10, 15 year plan a couple of weeks ago, 
is going to be very helpful and insightful for making sure I stay aligned with what my ultimate goal is. Any other degrees in your future? No. <laughs> no attorney or anything like that or no CPA or anything like that? Like we talked about earlier, something happens and I get a large windfall and money's no object, then yeah, I definitely would. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm done unless something like that happens. You're sure you're done? Yeah. What would be the first breaking point of something that you maybe couldn't scale as easily as one and you picture yourself maybe not liking what could be the first, like if I said, Richard, I'm going to force you to hire someone for three hours a week. Mm -hmm. What would you make that person do? Is there anything that you can see is going to maybe start getting on your hate list or on your repetitive list mm -hmm. where it's like, I just don't like doing this. Yeah. The discovery calls. When someone calls me for either a, a wellness consult or they're thinking about um, my consulting services, you know, it, it's really the same thing over and over again, right? My, what's my background? What's my philosophy? How can I help you? You know, here's a, here are my services. Here's what I do. Here's what I don't do. Right. So that's very, very repetitive. And that could easily be something that you could give someone in a script. These are questions that people, when you're on a discovery call, they're sort of discovering you. Mm -hmm. They have you in an um, interview, basically, mm -hmm. and they're saying, how do you do this? What do you do this? And you're saying that you could have someone that knows all of that and is just answering. Correct. So, you know, when someone's in that consideration phase, right, they're interested in your products. They like what maybe they've seen on social media or, or something else but they really want to get to know you yeah. to understand, to be like, you know what, do I feel comfortable spending money with this person? Right. Right. And so um, right now I'm doing that on my own, but it is something that you could easily have a staff member do with a, a, a script and everything like that set up. And then it just book an appointment and that ends up on my calendar. So that person already knows what's the deal, what I do, what services I provide. And then I can do what I really love doing, which is the act of consulting or the act of right. walking someone through a wellness process. Because I don't like sales. I'm, I'll be honest. I do not like sales. I'm not yeah. a sales guy. So yeah. if I had to do give something else to somebody else, it would be the sales department. And that you would consider is part of the discovery call. Mm -hmm. Someone at the end of that discovery call would say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do the first step or something like that. Correct. Correct. And then we book that and then we go from there. All right. Devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. How much would you lose in the process of someone thinking that they're not talking to you and they're talking to someone else in the discovery call. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I have people telling me all the time, oh, it must be great having a small business, you know, and the people come in, they see you there, and they get to say, hi, Mike, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, but look what you just said. They get to see me here and say, hi, Mike, but I don't always want to be here for people to say, hi, Mike, because that means I'm here all the time. Right. So in your case, how much do you think it helps to have you on that line? Mm -hmm. it, it depends on how your structure is set up. So I intentionally set up the structure with the podcast as part of my business platform. So people feel like they already know me. Gotcha. Right? So if someone, if someone comes to me right now and says, Hey, um, I'm looking for advice on this or something like that. Yes. So I have a couple different pieces of my funnel depending on where they are. So yes. 
if if it looks like someone's not they just want advice they're not willing to spend money you know that's that's perfectly fine i have a podcast for that so here's a my podcast topics now if someone wants a little bit more in-depth consideration i have a platform for my wellness guides right Right. and so that lists uh everything you need to know lists my supplements all my recommendations steps to take it's all there on the wellness guides and that's a a, like an eight dollar month subscription netflix model right and i add new content to that as i update my podcast yes so i have my wellness guides there it's also my podcast companion guide spot so if you want to get the you know thirty thousand foot view of the podcast with the links to the supplements and just overall thoughts and impressions that's there and that's the second piece of the funnel and then the third piece is if someone comes to me and says hey i really want a personalized plan right I want to have someone I can walk through this with, someone to coach me through it, someone to do this one-on-one with. Can you help? And I'm like, yes, perfect. I can do that. So um, that's that's why I think that in the end, it it won't hurt me as much because I have these vehicles, you know, my social media, my podcasts where I have. Right. I have connection platforms. People know you. They're just looking for maybe some details, but people are used to that, getting details from a detail page person, mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. that that's not your forte is standing there and going through all the details before someone wants to move forward with you, let's say. Correct. And a lot of times when I answer the phone, people are shocked. <laughs> yeah. They're absolutely shocked. They're like, wait, what? I, I expected to talk to, you know, front desk staff or something like that. My brother, we always joke because he said he'd answer the phone like he's got a consulting business and he'd answer the phone in a, you know, British accent and then and then say, well, let me transfer you. And then he'll put him on hold for a minute or two, you know, kind of. But he's in a situation where he's dealing with these bigger companies, you know, that have to have to hear things this way. Give us a teaser on the 25-year plan, the one that's in your head. My big audacious goal is to be uh, dean of a pharmacy school. Really? Yeah, I, I love education. I know I want to get back into the field of formal education, but I, I want to create these systems beforehand that once once I step out of a system, I want to be able to plug someone else in there. Right. Or, or something else in there. So it, it, it lasts, it stays. Yeah. So once I'm at a place where I feel like everything I'm at right now, I can hand off to someone else and it's sustainable, then I want to go back and be in formal education full time. You threw me for a loop. I didn't see that going that direction, but that's really cool. All right. I got to play devil's advocate again. As a dean, you're not working with all of the people that are learning stuff and you see their eyes light up when they learn this and stuff. You're just dealing with a bunch of crabby professionals who are working as teachers. How do you respond to that? You know, initially I wouldn't have said that to be a dean, I would have said be a teacher. But what my educational consulting company has taught me is that if you want real change on the education front, you have to educate the educators. Gotcha. And that starting that company two years ago changed my end trajectory. You're not just solving problems from the the bottom coming up to you as a dean. You're you're creating from the top down. 
Correct. And you can have a, a much longer lasting impression on the entire culture right. of the school. Right. You know, because I look at the dean I had in pharmacy school was a lot different than the dean I had in medical school. The dean we had in medical school was always around. You saw him everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Real personal guy would come up, talk to you, uh, always smiling. You know, he was that uh, energizer. Right. And that gave everyone a better experience um, that was inside that network. And so that's the kind of person that I could see myself being as well as is, is, is a dean like him who who was really a change agent for everyone that was in the organization. And does your decision to go to pharmacy, is that the same love of pharmacy because that was your favorite schooling with a physiology in that? What if I said you were going to be dean of a MBA program or dean of a medical program? Would that just not have that, the love of that science as much as the pharmacy? Is that what plays into it some? It's more of it was my first, right? And so it's a profession that launched me. And so I want to be able to give back. Right. Yeah. I feel like I, I owe the profession of pharmacy a lot. And so that to me would be the ultimate way that I feel that I could give back to the profession that gave me so much. That's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, Richard, it was sure a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Mike. It was a lot of fun. I guess I got to watch you now for 25 years. I had to keep my tabs on you now. <laughs> well, at least now it's pretty easy to do with all the things on social media, right? <laughs> all right, Richard. God bless. Nice talking to you. Yes, you too, Mike. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes. Thank you.